Hey, good morning. I had this absolutely incredible experience today. When I woke up, I took a shower. Thank you. Thank you. It was a, yeah, you're welcome. Maybe I should be saying you're welcome, right? It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Guys, I am so eager about what we're going to be talking about beginning today in these next three weeks ahead. You know, I, I want to preface this by, by sharing with you um, a, a chance that I had to, to reach out to a woman who had been married for probably 40 years. And way too soon, her husband came down with cancer. And after going through the procedure, it was discovered to be something that would be inoperable and incurable and had to stand by his casket several months later, like so many before her have had to as well. Now, what surprised me is that this woman and her family had been immersed into church life for their whole lives. She, she was one that went to church every single Sunday. If you were to ask her, do you believe in Jesus? She'd say, yes, I believe in Jesus, as would her husband and her kids. And so in ministering to this family, it was somewhat assumed on my part that despite how horrible, how tragic, and how heartbreaking saying goodbye to your loved one is, that there was this hope that was serving as somewhat of a bedrock underneath it. But what I came to actually find out was that there was this sense of just deep uncertainty, fear, doubt. Where is he? I don't know. Will I get to see him again? I don't know. Is he in heaven? I don't know. Is there a heaven? I don't know. And I've discovered that, that attempts to talk about it and attempts to deal with it were often shut down immediately because I think it was something too scary, too painful, too personal to have to deal with and to possibly have to deal with the percussions that would come out of whatever conclusion she might come to. And it made me realize that for how many people, the subject of the afterlife is so fraught with confusion, misconception, and uncertainty. I think there's some of us in this room today that when we think about the afterlife, we have a, an, an inner sense of sure and certain hope. But I think that for many of us here today, and I want to let you know, it is totally okay if I'm speaking to you directly right now that for many of us in this room, the subject of the afterlife is laced more with fear than with hope. And the confusions and the uncertainties and the doubts that this woman experienced are probably something that many of us here in this room today experience as well. Questions like, my grandma died. Where is she? And how do I know for sure? Questions like, what is heaven like? Questions like, eternity sounds like a really, really long time 
And if I'm being honest and not around church folk, it actually sounds kind of boring. What am I going to be doing that entire time? Will I recognize my wife when I get there? Maybe questions like, is hell actually for real? Maybe you've asked questions like these. Maybe you're asking them now, and what we're going to do today in these next four weeks to come is take a hard look and a very candid, straightforward look at what the Bible has to say about this, this subject of life after death. Now today what I'd like to do is jump in and look at some myths about life after death. And specifically, the myths that I want to look at today are going to be myths that I find Christians tend to have about the afterlife more than myths that people who don't claim to be Christian tend to have. Are you with me? Myth number one. Ready? Heaven is forever. Which a lot of you are probably asking, what do you mean? You're supposed to have myth there? No, myth. Heaven is forever. I am here to tell you today, heaven is not forever. And what most people I find put their hope in is this thing called heaven, this thing called eternity, that I get to die and go be with Jesus, and that goes on forever, is simply just not true. What we call heaven, often in Christian circles, theologians will call something different. They will call it the intermediate state. Okay, that's a mouthful, right? You always got to be a theologian and use big words. The intermediate state. Let me show you how it works. And I need some help here today. Don't worry, no solos, no singing. I need three people, just kind of come up. I will call on you. Come up. Just come up. All right, Barry Rasmussen, give Barry Rasmussen a hand, all right? Woo, Barry! All right. You are October 7th, 2012, at 9.17 a.m. Here is October 7th, 2012, at 9.17 a.m. All right? Now, what I need you to do, Barry, is leave. No, 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 with the rope. Now, eternity is long, would you agree? Time goes on and eternity stretches on. Keep going, keep going, because this doesn't seem like eternity yet. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Run, Forrest, run. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. All right. Eternity, according to the Bible, goes on and on and on. Now, the Bible says that somewhere in the timeline, it hasn't happened yet, it is now 9-18 on October 7, 2012, sometime after this moment, thank you, <laughs> Jesus is going to come back. Steve, you are the risen Christ. <laughs> All this time right in our midst, right? So, Steve, I need you right here on our timeline. And the risen Christ, you know, come on, baby. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, right? You are the risen Christ. Now, history is moving forward. And at some point in our timeline, Christ is going to return. 
is life as we experience it now forever. No, it is a period between 9.19 a.m. on October 7, 2012 and Steve, the risen Christ. After which eternity, shall we say, begins in a new way. Which means what we talk about as being heaven in Christian circles is not out there, but the time between here and here. What I'm here to tell you today is that what we think of as heaven is temporary. Because what the Bible says is that when the risen Christ returns, everything changes. Revelation will put it this way. It says this. John is looking at eternity post-risen Christ. And he says, then I saw what? Wait, what kind of heaven? A new heaven and what? Wait, what the heck? What, what, what happened? Where did earth come from in eternity? And, for, and furthermore, he says, I saw what? The first heaven, heaven here, and the first earth, earth as we know it here, do what? Which means that what you and I think about heaven is radically different than the heaven our loved ones are experiencing right here. Are you with me? More on that later. Thank you, guys. Please give the risen Christ and everyone else a hand. How many of you had this moment going quick? Shut the door on Barry. And you can leave this right there. Thank you, Barry. I appreciate it. Think about this. Those of us who have grown up in Christian circles, this is even embedded into the confessions of the faith that we so often know. And I thought that was the next slide, but it's not. We'll get to that one later. All right, myth number two. Life's goal is heaven. Or it's corollary. I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. No, it's not. Earth is your home. That's why God put you on earth. If your home was heaven, why bother with earth? Now, our home, admittedly, is quite screwed up. But it doesn't change the fact that God intended for us to be here. And God's purpose in creation and eternity is something that is physical right here. See, I've met so many people that when they think about heaven, their idea of the Christian hope, the Christian goal, and the, life of, of, uh, the goal of life as we know it is to hurry up and die so we can get on with it. It makes this entire life seem like almost uh, an accident, an afterthought, a parenthesis. But see, what the Bible says is that eternal life begins now. And life as God created it was meant to be physical. Put another way, none of you are ghosts. God did not create you to be a ghost. And God's purpose for you in life is not to shed off this fleshy stuff so you can get on with what the important stuff in is inside. No, you are you, body and soul. And God has created you not just to die and go to heaven, but God has created you to live and to have life to the full and a life that is eternal. The Apostles' Creed. Look at what it says. And you know what? We haven't done this in a while. Let's stand up. Stand up. 
We're going to say this together, all right? Now, Christian churches since the second century AD, all right, so a long time, right, have been saying this creed and have been professing to this creed as a statement to summarize the Bible's teaching of faith. And I don't care if you're Catholic, I don't care if you're Lutheran, Presbyterian, Baptist, Chapel, Willow Creek, Pentecostal, Mennonite, Amish, two-seat of the spirit, predestinarian. It, it doesn't matter. The Orthodox Christian Church over all space and time has been standing by this confession, and please say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. Do you? I wonder how many people say it week after week after week in churches around the globe on autopilot, not even knowing what they say. The resurrection of the body. For those who are believers, the time will come when we might die. And when we die, the Bible says our soul gets to go and be with Jesus. But what happens after that? Resurrection. Physicality. New heaven, new earth. Life reborn. Life created. All the way out the door. You can go ahead and have a seat. Isn't it fascinating, even as you look at it, that Jesus doesn't stay in heaven forever? You check that out? He ascended into heaven. But, but, but then he's going to come back from there. We're not going to go to him. He's going to come back here. From thence, from there, you know, thence is there, right? Because we can't say there. From thence, he will come here to judge the living and the dead. I mean, is he just like a circuit judge, like doing the rounds, going, hey, guys, I'm going to show up, do some judging, and back to heaven for me? No. Even within this creed, you see, embedded in is the idea that Jesus comes here. You are not meant to be a free-floating ghost. God did not make you that way. The picture of eternity that Jesus paints is something so much more, which leads to this. Myth number three. Death is inevitable. No, it's not. It's just not true. I mean, we've all heard the maxim, right? There's two things inevitable in this world. Death and taxes. Maybe taxes, but in Jesus' scheme, not death. Because Jesus told his followers to live in such a way that he could come back at any moment. That at any time, Jesus might return. And when he returns, eternity starts. Now, this might be confusing if you think of heaven as being forever. Because it starts to lead you to weird conclusions like this. Well, Jesus must come like, and then kill me? There is a chance that you might not die. I hope that I don't die. You might say, Dave, you're being naive. It's been 2,000 years. Maybe, but then it strikes me that Jesus was kind of naive too. So I feel like I'm at least in good company. 
the last statement of the Bible is this. It's a, it's a war cry of those early believers. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon, to which they reply, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you pray that way? Do you, do you live that way? Do you live with a fervency and a hope that, God, you can come and destroy this thing called death? Come, Lord Jesus, and I don't mean be our guest. Come, Lord Jesus, and destroy death. Which makes me start thinking about this. Myth number four, that death is good. Death is not good. Death is the enemy. God did not design death. Death hurts. Death separates people. God did not want there to be this thing called death. Now, sometimes death is better than the alternative. But don't forget that in those situations, it is still a lesser of two evils. And sometimes death might be a relief, but death is never the hope. God gave you a hope so much deeper than, oh boy, you get to die someday. What God's promise is, is life, not death. Jesus himself said, I have come to bring life that they might have it and have it to the full. This is what led the early, the early um, followers of Jesus, these early New Testament writers, to even taunt death, to even mock death, to even defy death and shout out things like this. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? And the New Testament invites us to live this way. Staring at death as the monster that seems undefeatable, knowing that in Jesus Christ there is life over death. That death is not the end. That death will be cast down and defeated and rubbed into the dirt. For those of you who are suffering in the midst of death right now, for those of you who are in a place where you're facing death right now, take heart. He is coming soon. He has overcome. Myth number five. Your life now has no bearing on your eternity. I find that this gets especially exaggerated in Protestant circles where there is such an emphasis placed on salvation by grace through faith. And because we're saved because Jesus died for us, and because we're saved despite what we do, and because God saves us because of his mercy and not our good works, not our righteousness, not because we deserve it, right? There starts to become this, this, this application or this tendency to say, then, well, it doesn't really matter what I do because the end goal is the same either way. Look at what Paul has to say to this line of thinking. He writes this. Each one should be careful how he builds. Now, what do you think he's talking about here? How he builds what? His life. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Without the foundation, no matter what you build in your life, it will crumble. 
However, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you and I each have a choice. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It's kind of like three little pig syndrome happening right here. You know, are you with me? It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he builds survives, he will receive his reward. If what he builds survives, think about that. If what I do here survives into eternity, you mean what I do here might continue on into eternity? Paul seems to say yes. But if it is burned up, like hay or straw, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. So, you know, rock on there, right? But only as one escaping through the flames. Which seems to mean that what we do with our lives here will continue on with us in some fashion or another into eternity. To quote Russell Crowe in Gladiator, what you do now echoes into eternity. Next myth. Where you go is based on the quality of your life. In other words, you've got to be good enough to get into heaven. It would seem, looking at that past passage, that that would be an easy application. Except the Bible is clear. Where you go has nothing to do with how good a person you are. I love how Paul writes. He says this. A man is not justified by observing the law. That's a fancy way of saying a man is not justified by being good. He isn't made right before God by being good. But instead by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul says we too have put our faith in Christ that we may be made right before God, justified by faith in Christ and not by doing good, not by observing the law because by observing the law no one, no one, no one will be justified. You can never be good enough to get into heaven. And on that day when the risen Christ comes, there are going to be so many good, nice people to whom Jesus looks and goes, I, I, who are you? I never knew you. Depart from me. What gets you into heaven is not being a good person, and what gets you into heaven is not doing more good than bad. What gets you into heaven is not balancing the cosmic scales. What gets you into heaven is the blood of Jesus and throwing yourself on God's mercy, saying, God, I can't do it. I know I can't do it. I know I'm a mess. Please, I'm trusting you. Save me. It's that and that alone that decides where you go for eternity. Next myth. After you die, you become an angel. All right, you ever hear this one? No, guys, you, you don't. There's no halo. There, there's no wings. There's no white robe. You don't have to be barefoot for eternity. All right? 
you, it's a different species. You no more become an angel when you die than your dog becomes a person when your dog dies. All right? It's just different stuff going on. Next myth. You come back. This can take one of two different forms, I find. Form number one. It's Halloween. I'm destined to be a ghost that's, that's like Rome in the graveyard. I'm not going to go down that path too much here today. I want to talk about maybe a different one instead. Based on the quality of my life, do I get to come back and do it over? Based on the quality of my life, do I get a second chance? Based on what I've done in this life, do I have to keep repeating until I get it right? And do I come back as a person or something else? We know the line of thought, we know the thinking, and there's something even tempting and tantalizing for so many in it. But this is what the Bible says. Man is destined to die once. One time. And then face judgment. Next myth. That this is all there is. That basically life as we know it consists of this stuff called matter, what we can see, and the molecular things that stand behind what we can see, which more or less reduces the human experience and the human condition to a complex series of chemical reactions, of atoms that have clustered together in the appropriate way, and when you die, your energy is simply released, that you cease to exist that you just kind of go out and absorb back into the universe or something like that. But see, I'm here to tell you today, guys, that you're not zombies. That each of you sitting here today has a soul. You are so much more than just an animated piece of flesh but that God has built something inside of you that makes you, you. And that's eternal. It comes from God himself. You have a body, but you also have a soul. It's why the Christian church also, it's like Creed Fest today, has also confessed since the beginning of times things like this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things what? Visible and invisible. The Bible's idea that there is a spiritual world and it is alive and active and real. Whether we can see it or not, whether we can experiment it on it or not, whether we can figure it out or not, it is nonetheless there and it is enmeshed in you. And that life in the universe as we know it exists for so much more than what we just experience for these 70 to 80 years we get on this earth. And the final myth that I just want to talk about today is this one right here. It's probably the one that I hear more than any other. Probably the one that stands behind all that we've talked about here today. And it says this. You can never be sure. That at the end of the day, we're just guessing in the dark, right? 
At the end of the day, we've, no, no one has actually ever really been there and come back. So how can we actually know? Or for some people, how do I know if Jesus really saves me? How do I really know that, that what he says is true? How do I know, well, some, if I'm good enough? See, when the New Testament talks about this thing called the afterlife, it doesn't talk about it in some vague, fuzzy, maybe kind of term. It talks about it with a surety, a certainty, and a hope that you can be sure. And as far as no one ever being there and coming back, well, it's just not true. I mean, first of all, you could think like people in the Bible, there was like Lazarus. There was like that widow's son that Elijah raised. There, there was a couple of people that Jesus raised from the dead, right? We all know books like Heaven is for Real, 90 Minutes in Heaven, right? I, I think we're all tantalized by accounts of those who have claimed to go there and come back. But let's not miss the obvious standing before us. There's Jesus himself who lived there, who built the place, who came here, who lived here, who died and went back there, came back again and went back again to tell us all about it. I meet so many people who are so desperate for answers and hope that they turn to any little shard of hope offered out there dangling on a string like a carrot looking for some kind of hope or answer. Why is it that every time a book like Heaven is for Real or 90 Minutes in Heaven comes out, it gets into people's souls? Why is it that shows on the paranormal and hauntings and the ghosts in the afterlife are so popular with people today? In part because it's interesting and in part, right, because it's just fun to watch. But is there a part of you that is looking for answers, that's looking for hope, and you're grasping out at anything that comes your way? See, the answer to this myth, you can never be sure, really seems to be better rephrased like this. It's not a question, can you be sure? It's a question of this. Who do you trust? Each of us is going to have to face the afterlife someday. My question is, who do you trust? Who do you trust to give you the honest answer on what it's going to be like? Who do you trust to actually know? People who are running after everyone trying to give them an answer, it reminds me of something like this. Imagine you wanted to know what the White House was like. Now, which of these two would be a better source for understanding what the White House is actually like? Going and talking to your friend who did a White House tour in 1976 when they were like five years old and slept through 95% of it, and they're like, you know, I just kind of remember, I think there was like a light. Or going and talking to someone like Chelsea Clinton or Sasha Obama, some kid who's grown up there and lived there and has made a life quest of finding out every nook and cranny, of playing hide-and-go-seek with Secret Service guards, of, of discovering every place they're not supposed to go because it's off-limits, and intimately discovering it as their home. 
Who are you trusting? Someone who may or may not have been there for a blip someday? Or the son of the king who called it home? Or think about it like this. Now, now just go with me for a moment, okay? For the sake of argument, let us assume that aliens exist, and I'm not talking the illegal ones. Let us assume that extraterrestrials exist, that UFOs are real phenomena, and alien abduction occurs. Now, I'm not getting to the debate whether this is true or not. Just go with the sake of argument. There's all these people out there who claim to have been abducted, who have claimed to have seen something. And you get like this eight-second bit of grainy video, right? Or, or, or you get someone going, it was horrible, man. It was just like lights and I was probed. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like this, this hyper-traumatic, stressful, I don't know what happened. It was just like this horrible memory and was it alcohol? And you don't know, right? What's a more trustworthy stress? May it have happened to them? Maybe. May it have not? Maybe. I don't know. But what if a representative was to come down from the alien nation and say, I've come here today to tell you we are real. And this is what it's all about. And I got a PowerPoint to boot, right? You know, like something like that. Who are you going to trust? The guy who might have seen something in a moment of hyper-trauma? Or someone who's been there? and knows it, who's created it, and holds it together. God gives you a hope. And his name is Jesus. And he has come to tell you what the afterlife is all about. We all have got to face it, and it's standing there for each of us, but God does not leave us in uncertainty and doubt which is why it comes down to just a simple matter of who are you going to trust. So for the next three weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about this thing called the afterlife. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about it. Next week, in just very straight, candid... You know, straightforward terms. We're going to take a look at what is heaven like? What does the Bible have to say about heaven and how does it describe it? The week after that, we're going to take a look at this thing called hell. What is it? How do we deal with it? Is it for real? And, and, and what does God's word say, not everyone else, about it? The week after that, we're looking at ghost, zombies, resurrection of the dead. We're going to figure out which one you are, right? No. We're going to look at what eternity is like, what the real Christian hope that stretches out in. And guys, I'm so excited about this because this is what we're going to do. I want to encourage you. Bring a cell phone. Because what we're going to do is invite you to text your questions in. So that next week, whatever questions you have about heaven, you will be able to text them in in real time and we will answer them on the spot. And the week after that, whatever questions you have on hell, you can text them in and we'll answer them on the spot and you're getting the idea. Guys, I want you to do this. You have family members and friends who are struggling with the afterlife. 
There are people you know well that are afraid or who have questions, who are fascinated and are looking for answers. If you care for your family member or friend, take this as a time to say, there is something going on that you need to be a part of. Come with me next Sunday because we're going to be texting in live and we're going to be talking all about what this thing is. This October, we got one more thing going on. We have spe two special Christianity 201 classes that are going to meet. But instead of on Sunday mornings, these are going to meet midweek on Wednesday. I'm going to be teaching them. One is this coming Wednesday, 7 to 8.30. The other is October 24th, where what we're going to do is dig into some of this afterlife material even more in depth for those of you who are hungry to go deeper. My prayer that through this is that God takes you from a place of uncertainty and doubt, if that's where you happen to be, to a place of unshakable hope. That God reorients your perspective to see how much bigger and grander and richer the tapestry of your life is beyond the moments that you experience today. And honestly, that God uses you to reach out to someone he's put in your path. Someone who's looking for answers. Someone who's curious or hungry. Someone who wants hope. They got using in that, and I got to tell you, I'm looking so forward to this journey together these next three weeks. Brian and the band's going to come on up. We're going to pray. So I invite you to rise. What I want to, to invite you into right now, whatever question about the afterlife you have, ask God right now. Ask him. And ask him to answer it for you. Ask him to speak to you in it these next three weeks. God, we come. We come as people that you have built for eternity. God, we come as a people who, who are built for so much more than the present, but for whom the present begins what you want, God, to be a trajectory, an eternal life forevermore. For those here today, God, who are struggling, struggling with someone they've lost, that you would give them hope, that you would give them answers. For those today, God, here who are doubting, that you would speak to them. For the questions they ask, that you would breathe into those, God, these next coming weeks. For those of us, God, who are simply hungry, you know, who are tantalized by, by wanting answers and wanting truth, reveal it. God, I pray that you help me to be a, a, a worthy communicator of it. That you help us together to go on a journey, God, of discovering it. Guide us, God. Guide us these next four weeks and use us as a church to reach out to so many who are looking for the things that we're talking about. In your name. Amen.